Well, good morning. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. I'm still turkeyed out. I don't know about you. I went to seminary in a little town called Ambridge, Ambridge, Pennsylvania. It's probably about 45 minutes northwest of Pittsburgh. And it was, it was a really, it was a neat place to go to seminary, and it had all of this small town charm you would expect. There's probably about five or, or 6,000 people who live there. And one thing about this town that, that never ceased to amaze me is how they celebrated for the holidays. I mean, they were amazing. You know, whether it was Valentine's Day or, I don't know, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, all of these holidays, they pulled out all the stops. It, it, there could be a holiday that we don't even know about, and, and somebody would have a flag up or some sort of yard decoration for this holiday, it, except for one. There was one holiday um, that was kind of overlooked. And that holiday was Thanksgiving. And here is why. On October 31st, I would walk to class, and, and I would pass this one house, and, and they were decked out. They had cobwebs everywhere and big giant spiders and, and all sorts of Halloween craziness. And then the next morning, I'd walk to school, and it was amazing. It was like at midnight, the clock changed, and out came Santa Claus, and the big snow globe, and the reindeer, and... and I was just amazed. It was, they must have stayed up till midnight until all the trick-or-treaters were finished so they could switch their house over and get it ready for Christmas. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're missing one. You're missing one. But that's kind of the world we're in now is, is we're jumping right into Christmas, even the big box stores. I mean, they're getting started in, in September, it seems, getting ready for Christmas. And here we are. Um, just past Thanksgiving, and, and we're getting ready for Christmas, and now I would say is an appropriate time to start doing it. We're getting ready for Christmas. So we're here in this season of Advent, and, and the fact of the matter is the culture and the church get ready for Christmas in, in vastly different ways. For, for, the, for this culture, Christmas, frankly, is here. And we start going to, to Christmas parties and Christmas shopping and the insanity of, of Black Friday that I've never witnessed, thank the Lord, but I have definitely heard about. Christmas is here, and so we get ready for Christmas, for Christmas Day, by being really busy and doing lots of stuff. And these aren't bad things. I, I don't mean to say that we shouldn't do these things. We should. We should enjoy all of the festiv- festivities of the season. We should enjoy and embrace um, and, and just, just thank God that he's given us this time where we can really enjoy one another and enjoy this season. But at the same time, there's a specific preparation that we in, in the church and this body of Christ need to be thinking about. And so we have this special church season that we call Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we remember what it was like before Jesus came, where we think about this time of anticipating his birth and anticipating um, um, God himself coming down as a little baby. And at the same time, while we're, we're remembering this, we're also anticipating ourselves, anticipating the fact that Jesus Christ will come again, that he will return to us, will turn to this world to set up his kingdom and his reign 
once and for all. And so this is a time of preparation, a preparation for Christ to return. If we look at at Mark's gospel, Jesus himself is pretty clear about this. He says, um, verse 33, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Or verse 37, And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be ready. Jesus Christ could return today. He could return tomorrow. He could return in 100 years. We don't know. But we're supposed to be ready. And so the church sets aside four weeks every year where we can be intentional about being ready. So are you ready? Are you ready? So how do, how, how do we do this? How do we get ready? Because, frankly, I'm not sure I'm ready. I, you know, when I think about my life and reflect on, on, on where I am and what I've done, thinking about Jesus Christ coming in glory can be a little scary. It can be a little scary. It's not that we should be afraid, but it, but it just can be because he's going to be, you know, swooping in. He's going to be riding on the clouds. He's going to be the king of glory. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, are we ready? And, and thankfully, we've got some scripture that is very clear that really helps us out on how to get ready. And, and I'm talking about our passage in Isaiah. Maybe, Carrie, can we pull that up on the screen? We're in Isaiah, and here we have a reading from before the time of Jesus. We have a, a prophet, Isaiah, who is preaching to his people. And, and they're, they're waiting, and they're not sure what's happening, and, you know, they're back in the Holy Land. They have been exiled all the way to Babylon, and God has brought them back, and they're, they're hearing these words from Isaiah, and they're wondering, you know, where are you, God? Where are you? We're, we're back in the Holy Land, but, 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 but there's something more than this. There's something more to your kingdom, and so Isaiah here is, is teaching them, frankly, about how to be ready. He's, he's praying for them and teaching them how to pray and what to expect from God. How, how do we get ready for God's salvation? And so when we read this passage, we think about how do we get ready? How do we receive Jesus into our hearts yet again? Or maybe for the first time. But at the same time, how do we get ready for Him to come back? For him to return in glory. And so, Isaiah chapter 64 begins like this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as the fire kindles brushwood and causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. So the first thing we need to to realize about getting ready, about Jesus coming, whether it's the first time or the second time, is that he doesn't really come just for us. It's not all about us. Sometimes we, we think it's about us, and to an extent, obviously it is, that he's come for our salvation. He's come that we as a body of Christ might be joined to him that we might live eternally in the presence of God. But that's really, I mean, honestly, that's just a means to an end. 
God comes once, God comes again to glorify his name. And so we, <coughs> excuse me, we read this verse. Where is that? Let's see. Verse 2. To make your name known to your adversaries. God comes to make his name known to his adversaries that the nations might tremble at his presence. And so we read in the New Testament that God comes so that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why he comes. And so he offers us salvation. He brings us out of our sinful state into union with him so that his name will be glorified. And so this Advent season, as we're reflecting on this, reflecting on on God's incarnation, on his his coming again, we have to remember that it's, it's not about us. He's coming to glorify his name. And he does that through our salvation. The second thing we see in Isaiah at um, verse, verse 3 is that when we're preparing for God to come again, we need to remember. We need to remember. Think about, think about the Thanksgiving feast you just had. By Wednesday, probably, at the very latest, you, you, especially if you were hosting this thing, you're preparing. You're getting ready. And, and to get ready for Thanksgiving feast isn't just to sit around and wait for it to show up. There's a lot to do. You've got to get the house ready. You've got to get the food. You've got to clean up all those cobwebs that are sitting around in the corners. You've got to get that place ready. And one way you get ready is actually by remembering. Remembering the last time you hosted a Thanksgiving dinner. Remembering um, the things that were really great about that dinner. The things that maybe weren't so great about that dinner. Maybe last time... You put crazy, you know, Uncle Frank at the kids' table and they blew spitballs at each other the whole time or or something like that. And you're not going to do that again. You're going to remember what happened and you're going to change and you're going to do something differently. And so here we have in Isaiah, you know, he's telling these people, this nation of Israel, God's going to save you. God's going to act on your behalf. Remember what he's done before. Verse verse 3. When you did awesome things that that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. When you did awesome things. What are these awesome things? Well, he's referring a chapter earlier to verse 63, where, where he names these awesome things. He names God's choosing of Abraham to make him a light to the nation. He names the exodus, the crossing from the Red, over the Red Sea, this freedom from slavery into new life in the promised land. Remember these things. Remember David defeating Goliath. Remember the great promises God made to David. Remember that even when you were in exile, I brought you back to your home. Remember But not only remember what I've done, remember who I am. Verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. 
You know, Israel's big problem was turning to other gods. Idol worship. Uh, worshiping the gods of the native people of the land. Worshiping really just about anyone or anything that wasn't the God that rescued them from Egypt. And here's Isaiah, Isaiah saying, remember who your God is. He's the one God, the one true God. Nobody has seen a God do the things that our God has done. And so, especially as we approach Christmas, we see the gods coming out of the woodworks in our culture, coming out, I mean, out of the woodwork. But no one has seen those gods do a single thing compared to what our God has done. And so what are we to remember? Well, we're remembering the same thing that Isaiah was calling Israel to remember. Because the story of Abraham, the story of Exodus, the story of David, that's our story. These are our ancestors. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ... You're in the family of God, and you can go all the way back. Claim those stories. Remember the awesome acts that God has done in history for our people. But also remember the work that God has done personally in your own life. Whether he's healed you, whether he's transformed you. We, we all have a story. I was once this. I received Jesus Christ, and he's brought me to this. That's your story. Remember that. Tell it over and over again. Tell it to yourself. And finally, and most importantly, remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember the work of that little baby. God himself, born of a woman, who lived a perfect life. And yet died on the cross, taking our sins, taking the punishment for our sins, so that we could live eternally with God. Remember that. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. I, you, every time I come up here, I, I, I say the same thing. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, because there's nothing more sweeter to remember than that. There's nothing. You know, I could tell you to do stuff. I could tell you to raise your children to love Jesus, and you should. I can tell you to give your money away, and you should. I can tell you to read your Bibles. I can tell you to stop sinning. I can tell you to do all sorts of stuff. I can tell myself to do all this stuff. But that's not going to change me. What's going to change me is remembering every morning, every day, every second that Jesus Christ died so that I might live. And if I believe that, if that's true, then it will transform my life. If that is true, then everything we do needs to change. Because our whole lives need to be given to God. We need to remember that. If it's not true, don't worry about it. It's meaningless. Go on and, and do, do whatever. But if it's true, he's going to change your life. What else? How else shall we prepare? Well, we should, um, 
verse 5. We should lament. We should lament. Verse 5 begins with, um, or in the middle of verse 5. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? My translation here says, Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. How then shall we be saved? Part of getting ready you know, part of cleaning up your house for Thanksgiving is sweeping out some of those old cobwebs. Part of getting ready for Jesus, for the incarnation, for the second coming, is, is to examine our lives. Examine ourselves. Where are those cobwebs, God? What do you want to sweep out of my heart? Let us recognize our sins and, then, and weep over them. Let us lament our sins. And, and, and Isaiah kind of goes on about this for a long time. He, he, you know, we've, verse 6, we've all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequity is like the wind. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us melt in the hand of your iniquities made us waste away because of our sins. So this is a big deal. Isaiah, you know, he gives us at least four things. We're, we're unclean. We're a polluted garment. We're a leaf who fades away. We're like the wind. We've been, God has hidden his face from us. Why? Why is that? Israel's sin brought them into exile, brought them into to Babylon, far away from from where they thought God was, far away from the promised land. Our sin brings us to exile, away from God, away from his body of Christ. This is what, it's what sin does. It separates us from God because a holy God, a holy God over here cannot handle, cannot, well, he can handle, but he can't tolerate a sinful people. Holy God and sinful people, they, they can't go together. Why is this? It's not because God doesn't want to. He, he aches. He aches because we're separated from him. But when we're in sin, when we're in the midst of this struggle, we cannot glorify God. Remember why he came down. He came down to glorify his name. That everybody would know who God was. Now think about this. Why do some people have a hard time with God? With Jesus? Why is that a hard thing for some people? Very often, it's because they've run into someone who claims Jesus and yet has hurt them, has turned them away, has not glorified the name of God. And so if we're here sinning and, and getting into all this mess and hurting people and doing whatever else, and if God tolerates that, then we basically serve a God who likes sin, who wants us to hurt other people. And so he can't tolerate it. There's this separation. And, and we, need, we need forgiveness. 
And so here we are in Advent, and, and we're, we're lamenting our sins, remembering them, and we're praying, God, save us. Save us from these sins. Israel's saying, God, save us from the separation that we're in. And so as sinful people, to glorify the name of God, the first and the most important thing that we need to do over and over again is get on our knees, confess our sins, repent, pray that God will be glorified in our lives despite ourselves. Finally, a, a final thing that, that, that Isaiah has us doing to get ready um, is just a petition to ask God to come, to save us, to come again. Verses 8 and 9. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. We come back to God because he's a loving God and he's a forgiving God and we can invite him and ask him and plead with him to forgive us of our sins. And he will. God, come help us. You've acted on our behalf before. We repent. Come again. It's the the final words of John in the book of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, save us from this evil age. Save us from our sins. Help us, Lord, to glorify your name. And so as we begin this season of Advent, just remember, you're, you're about to get really busy. You know it. You can look ahead. You look at your calendar. It's about to get really busy. And that's okay. Enjoy it. But, but, but remember, just, just remember that, that we're, this is a season of preparation, of prayer and repentance. And so take time to do that. Maybe get, get an Advent wreath. It doesn't have to be this beautiful. Get a simple little Advent wreath and, and light the candle every morning and pray with your children. Get, a, get an Advent calendar and flip open the little boxes and, and read the Scripture and pray. Remember what God has done for us and remember what God is going to do for us. Anticipate that. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and when we do this, and we're intentional about it, when Christmas gets here... It's going to be amazing. It'll be just amazing to think about God, this holy God coming down, this little helpless baby. Pray with me, please. Holy Father, as we begin this season of Advent, we pray that you would um, convict our hearts. You would convict our hearts, Lord, and that, that we would recognize what you've done for us and that we would plead for you to restore us and that you would transform our lives Lord, every aspect of our lives whether it's our our families, our work our money transform what we do with that Lord, may it glorify your name we ask these things in the name of your son Jesus Christ Amen